When it comes to birthdays, everyone has a story. And when it comes to clip shows, no one does it better than the girls. Come with us as we join Blanche, Rose, Sophia, and Dorothy as they take us through time to memorable birthdays full of ha-has, tears, and surprises. In today's episode, A Piece of Cake. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go, I hope you know you'll always be my It's a lovely day in the neighborhood as we make our way into the kitchen, finding Blanche in a delightful, sparkly, bright blue open shirt over a white one with matching blue pants. Arriving home from the store is Dorothy in a light denim dress supported by a heavy cream sweater that doesn't so much look like it's made of wool as much as it looks like she's wearing an entire skin of an actual sheep. Showing her usual, I'm even more snippy when I'm stressed attitude, relatable. Dorothy is shocked to find that Blanche, who appears to be working quite hard, still hasn't finished the hors d'oeuvres. With a mood that's the antithesis of Dorothy's, Rose comes into the kitchen sporting a lovely coral dress and a huge, doofy smile. That's because, hiding behind her back, is a mouse-slash-rabbit-slash-dog head made of blue balloons and pipe cleaners. Snacks and decorations? It must be time for a party. Unfortunately, Rose has gotten too distracted with Scotty, as she's dubbed her plastic creation. Dorothy has a name for it, too. Once learning Rose has spent nearly an hour assembling the abhorrent creature, with a pop of her nails, Scotty has transformed into trash. After a stare-down of Dorothy's sociopathic delight that still remains charming, against Rose's extra pouty pout, the ladies move on to more pressing matters. Realizing Blanche is falling behind and Rose can't be trusted to be left alone, Dorothy delegates her to hors d'oeuvre's assistant. Once Sophia, in a darling silk dark teal dress with floral print, enters, we finally learn what all of the hubbub is about. Roberta, who we have yet to meet, will be coming by at 2 p.m. for a surprise party. Sophia's not worried she suspects there's a party. The poor woman still tries to watch Gunsmoke on Sunday night. I won't fault Roberta for that. In all fairness, Gunsmoke was a radio show from 1952 to 1961, and then it became one of the longest-running primetime live-action series with 20 seasons, and they aired on CBS from 1955 to 1975. But I am worried about Sophia, who doesn't remember it was a Saturday night show for 12 years before moving to Mondays for the remainder of its run. Consistently ranked as one of the best shows of all time, it was a record holder for a number of seasons up until 2019 when the 21st season of Law & Order SVU premiered. Its number of episodes was surpassed only recently by The Simpsons. Duh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Finally finishing their snack assembly, Blanche takes her tray out to the living room. For a finishing touch, Dorothy starts looking for the cake. The cake Dorothy, Rose, and Sophia haven't seen. The problem with that? Sophia should have seen it, as she was the one baking it. 
No need for everyone to get upset about her forgetting. She didn't forget to bake it. She just wanted it as fresh as possible. So she'll get to making it right now, even though it's already 1.15. The tight time frame doesn't scare Sophia, much like Sal and his one-hour accomplishments at the dinner table. In 45 minutes, Sophia could knit you a sweater and bake two cakes. So move out of the way and let the genius get to work. This lack of crucial birthday dessert has the ladies worried if Sophia will get it done in time. Dorothy disagrees. A cake doesn't make a party. In fact, Rose had thrown a surprise party for her, and it included three cakes. Sophia wouldn't know this story, as she was in the home. Drifting into the past, we cut to a close-up of Dorothy's annoyed face before panning out to see she's at a... Chuck E. Cheese-esque restaurant, complete with horrendous decor and a friggin' clown singing happy birthday before welcoming us to Mr. Ha-Ha's Hot Dog Hacienda. <laughs> We've actually met Mr. Ha-Ha before. It wasn't during a crappy birthday. Rather, he was delivering a crapper in second motherhood. Alan Blumfield, as we discussed during his first appearance, has 187 credits as well as projects in post-production. Digging a little deeper into his resume, I found a film that is near and dear to Coco and myself. Pathology. County Morgue. That was the most hands-on program in the U.S. That's why I'm here. Dr. Gallo. Meet Dr. Gray. They have the talent to trace any cause of death. Don't you come and join us? Fine. Go be with your dead people, doctor. To the dead. They have the skills to get away with murder. Now. Don't you want to know who's the best? Most of my eyeballs in this. Yes, you are, Ted. The only way to stop them. I'm done. I'm out. Nobody gets out. Is to beat them at their own game. Did you say you needed someone to do forensic pathology? Cool. Coco, I don't even know where to begin with this film, except that we do hope that someday we'll be able to host movie screenings at a local theater showing exclusively terrible, laugh-out-loud, horrible films, and this one is very high on the list. It's about a bunch of hotshot jerk forensic pathologist students, right? Medical students? Yeah. And they decide to have a competition among them to see who could commit a murder, a perfect murder, I believe. Yeah. Without any trace. And it's real stupid. It's like Top Gun goes to medical school. Oh my God, yeah. And they're all yeah, just... that's exactly right. And there's right. the cool guy. I think at one point he's even like smoking in a lab or something. Or chewing on a toothpick or something. Yeah, and just like, oh, I don't follow the rules. It's like, you're a scientist. It's only rules. You're in the wrong field. And I... I recall there's a part two where they're kind of sexualizing the corpses too. Yes. They're like being like saucy with them and it's yeah. not cool. And correct me if I'm wrong, the only star is that this is us guy, right? Yeah, Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah. Um you know, luckily this is us happened for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because pathology was, was not gonna happen. <laughs> that was not um not a step up. Yeah, so much like Magic Bubble, if you're into watching terrible things to laugh at it, pathology is just comically, it's like a CBS drama, but for the big screen. This ain't your daddy's coroner. That's right. 
Was that its tagline? <laughs> it could have been. I wonder what it was. Can you look it up? Uh, yeah. Tagline. Oh, boy. No body is safe. Um, on the poster, it says, every body has a secret. As the overexcited, purple-haired nightmare clown demands everyone eat their hot dog before singing at them about eating hot dogs, Rose giddily sings along as Blanche tries to ignore the stares of death the birthday girl has. Bright blue dress-wearing Rose claps with joy as the song wraps up before noticing Dorothy in a cream blouse with mini jacket who hasn't even touched her Mr. Ha Ha Hot Dog. With a slamming of her hand onto the dog, Dorothy corrects her. There, it's been touched. It's clear that Dorothy is not enjoying her time at the Hacienda Hut, which is shocking to Rose. Not only did she think everyone would enjoy it because the TV commercial looked so fun, but also because she's enjoying herself. This isn't surprising to Dorothy. Mr. Ha Ha caters to childlike minds. It's when Rose starts to cry that Dorothy realizes her frustration and sarcasm may have gone a bit too far. Dorothy doesn't hate Rose for taking her to a child's play place, nor does Blanche, who is having a wonderful time with a foot-long wiener and oversized cherry burpee, which I hope is something like an icy to really heighten the sugar count. The sugary drinks even come with a challenge. Drink three for a total of 96 ounces of burpee, and you get Mr. Ha Ha's hat. Given their sugar content, Dorothy feels you should be able to get his kidney, seeing as the glucose could lead to high blood pressure and kidney damage. With a pre-recorded drum roll, Mr. Ha Ha returns to the stage. Even though Ha Ha doesn't have the animatronic magic, or nightmare, depending on your view of things, of a Chuck E. Cheese's, he does have a jukebox and a parade. A special parade commemorating the births of the special boys, girls, and more aged senior women at his party. At the mere announcement that names will be called, Dorothy's wheels are turning and she has no doubt her five-year-old-minded friend Rose most definitely added her name to the list. Even though she already knows the answer, a desperate Dorothy looks to Rose, asking for her to confirm her fears as unfounded. Rose's silence and face of fear answer her question, just as Mr. Haha proclaims, Dorothy's Bornak, causing Dorothy to lean across the table and start choking Rose. Approaching the table to find the birthday girl, Mr. Ha breaks up the fight, encouraging Dorothy to take the stage. Using slang whose origin is argued but was first used around American colleges in the 1950s and 60s, Dorothy tells Ha to get bent. Unfazed, Ha Ha rallies the children, cheering Ha Ha's at her until a round of Dorothy, Dorothy, Dorothy's finally get her to cave in. Taking her seat on the undersized plastic children's chair on stage, betwixt Jenny and Bobby, Haha introduces each special guest by their name and age. Well, he doesn't exactly share Dorothy's age, as he'll have his heart ripped out if he does. Little Genie is uncredited, and besides his appearance here with the girls and as a child on stage with Roseanne for her first stand-up special, Jeffrey Weber, playing Bobby, hasn't done any other acting. Even though her age is unknown, it's clear Dorothy is the oldest. So with Mr. Haha's special parade leader hat, 
which looks to be a plastic cone with paper dots glued to the front. She gets to lead the other children through the clown-riddled hellscape as she shoots daggers at Rose before threatening Haha with vehicle damage if he doesn't shut the whole thing down. Coco, you took special note of an extra creepy clown in the corner. How do you feel about clowns? I don't have the fear of them that people do, but I just don't like them. Just in a general way, I'm not into it. I don't like the sounds they make, the tricks they do, their facial expressions, uh, their car capacities. (laughs) Or the one in this building that was a good eight feet tall and very slender and holding a huge pencil. How about you? Are you are you a clown uh, fearer? I have, I've gotten much better at my fear. I uh, I think we've mentioned before that I saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space when I was way too young and I was sick, so I had a fever dream that felt like the movie, and that kind of instilled my uh, deep deep seated fear. That's a good movie for that to happen to. Yeah, well, and then you know, growing up, then we had uh, John Wayne Gacy happen and all of that, so. It, the original it. it. Yeah, so it's they've they're not often painted in a good light, but I will say good for the ones that help kids and 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 do fun things, but it's not for me. I'm going to say no thank you. I don't want it. And speaking of Pee-wee, there's when his bike is stolen, uh-huh. there's a real creepy part with that clown and that really bothered me when I was a kid. Me too. That's also in the uh reasons why. With a, it's like a mechanical clown. Yeah, it's yeah, like, don't the, like it. the robot one outside of the bike shop. But then they're, when it's missing and it goes that under angle. <laughs> Moving away from the parade, it's time for the Ha Ha Hot Fudge Cake. They're a free celebratory treat for the birthday girl, only two bucks for Rose and Blanche. After a smashed hot dog and cherry burpee, Dorothy's not really feeling the cake. Overhearing her passing on the treat, Mr. Haha takes a moment to educate the room of children who appear to have no real adult supervision going on. It was the 80s. That when people get older, they get cranky and become a real, quote, pain in the haha. Sternly reminding her she's in a place of business and the business is fun for kids, Haha nearly demands Dorothy to shut up and blow out her candle. She does then picks up the cakey treat as if to threaten Haha with the same regard she showed her hot dog. Realizing he's about to get a dessert to the face, Ha points out that his co-worker, Mr. Music, has Mr. Lawyer for a brother. After Dorothy agrees with Haha about the maturity level of someone that would do that, she comes to her senses and puts the cake down. Looking over Rose's shoulder, we see Bobby, patiently waiting for his cue, before he makes his way to Haha. Once Haha turns around, Bobby lands a pile of whipped cream fudge and probably some cherry burpee right in his face. With a sweet smile, Bobby wishes Dorothy a happy birthday. Flashing back to the present, Sophia's bummed she missed out on all of the excitement of Haha. But, you know, she was in Shady Pines. Still in a time crunch for her cake baking, Sophia has all of her ingredients on the stove as she's mixing away. Besides the flour and eggs, she has the most important ingredient, rum. This excites Rose, who asks if they'll be having a rum cake. Filling her glass with said potent potable, Sophia responds, nope.
Get your tissues. It's Rose's turn to tell a birthday story. Hers isn't a silly one with the girls, but the last one she had at her home in St. Olaf, the home she shared with Charlie. We've finally made it to St. Olaf. Rose's kitchen is very Midwest. Light wood used for the dining table and china cabinet. Light blue paisley wallpaper clashing with the blue and white diamond laminate floor. Towels hanging from multiple handles. There's no lobster, but plenty of other decorative copper pans on the wall. It's all giving some real Roseanne slash the middle vibes. Wearing a light floral robe and purple bow in her hair, Rose gently sets a round cake on the table and lights the candles that are atop it. After they're lit, she runs towards the door, leaving the kitchen and leaving us in suspense. We must be waiting to surprise Charlie for his birthday. Right? Right? After about three seconds, Rose comes back in, feigning a yawn and giving the cake on the table a double take. When her face lights up and she delights, My birthday! That's when we realize this isn't a surprise for Charlie. He's already gone. Rose has thrown this party for herself. Going on about the candles starting a fire, inviting the volunteer brigade to flood her house, Rose looks to her left, to the empty chair, the empty plate, but the full glass of orange juice she still poured for him, and acknowledges, probably out of habit, that she should just shut up. Let's take a quick second to acknowledge the adorable white mug with large red letters reading OOFDA, which means dismay, you know, like OOF, which is sitting on the counter. Okay, back to Rose's wish. When the candles go out, Rose takes a pause, smiles, then realizes her wish might have been silly. She wished for Charlie to be there with her for her traditional private birthday party. It's been eight months since she lost Charlie, but she's starting to understand that he's really gone. Even if she really does know that, her birthday has been the first major holiday that she's had without him. No matter what day she was celebrating, she still would have included him. If it was his birthday, she would have bought him a tie. Even if the salesperson would look at her even more strangely than they have since she ordered a double-breasted suit with a drop seat or an opening on the behind for her cousin. It's not just her birthday being the reason for the little party. She wanted to talk to Charlie about something important, and this seemed like the best time. After a lifetime of memories in St. Olaf and that house, she needs to move on, try something new. Being older and dealing with snow doesn't help things either. That's why she's decided to find a new house, a new job, and new friends in a new city, Miami. Optimistic about what her new life and new friends will bring, Rose comforts Charlie and herself by reminding him, wherever she goes, he'll be. I definitely cried while writing this. I used to feel sad, but now that I'm older and understand loss and love more, I will always cry at this. People often ask why we never see Charlie portrayed by an actor as we do the other deceased husbands. Betty and her husband Alan were famously in love. Losing him just six years prior to this episode, Charlie was Alan, so out of respect of the two of them, he remained a mystery, if you will. After giving her love to Charlie, reminding him how much he is missed, Rose gets back to celebrating. Cutting the cake, she tries to get her emotions together because it's her birthday, so she gets the rose. You know, I've seen that scene so many times, but haven't seen it for a few years, and yeah, it, it definitely hits differently. <laughs> The age that Rose is is so much younger than my parents even. It's 
truly not that much older than us. And so the idea of that being all the more possible, I guess. Um, yeah, that that things like that are looming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Losses is, is on its way for sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe is there more to aging? Like this is a total different tangent, but just kind of people are always like, oh, I don't want to age and wrinkles in my body and all that. And it's like, but is it really more the loss that's scary to people? Because all that happens as you age is you lose more. Like, if I stay young, then we're all just young or something, and we're all here. Yeah, I mean, aside from, like, the health things, I really don't mind aging. It's yeah. it's really not bad <laughs> at all. It's great. I'm like, <laughs> I feel better about things than I ever had in my life. I yeah. feel good. And, I don't know, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Still working away on the cake, Sophia adds about three tablespoons of baking soda, or as she would call it, a pinch. When Dorothy points out that her measurements might be a bit off, Sophia, who has nearly finished an entire bottle of rum, hasn't to care about the cake, or anything really. When Rose invites Sophia to sit down, Sophia points out she already is, while she's standing at the stove. Making her way to the table, she promises the girls she's fine. Besides, she would never do anything to ruin Roberta's big birthday. And yes, 88 is a big birthday. I really love the line, every year without a headstone is a milestone. For Sophia's big birthday, her 50th, everyone was supposed to go out to dinner. But Sal and Sophia had been fighting. This was in April 1956. So Sophia was born in 1906. Or was she? As Dorothy tries to get us all to picture Brooklyn in the 1950s, Sophia stops her. This is her territory. Let her tell the story. We get so many firsts in this episode. Here we are in Brooklyn, 1956. For this episode, the front door is on the left side of the room, a room full of accurately styled furniture, including a green chair and pinkish couch. Picture frames are abundant, and it all looks like what you would picture for a 1950s Brooklyn apartment. As we hear Sal and Sophia fight in the bedroom, there's a knock at the front door and an announcement of, It's me, Dorothy. Quick house arrangement, whoopsie. In this episode, that door that leads to the downstairs bedroom, keep an eye on it in the future because it'll transform into the kitchen. Not only is the home accurate feeling, but the casting Brilliantly, because Estelle Getty had to wear so much makeup and fake hair to become Sophia, they simply let her appear as her actual age. A multi-hyphenate like her TV dad, Lenny Green has been a producer, writer, director, and actor on stage and screen since 1977. Besides being one of the best castings ever made in television or film, playing an uncanny version of a younger bee, Lenny has appeared on game shows, was a director on Nip Tuck, acted off-Broadway in Assassins, acted on-screen in The Five Mrs. Buchanans, Law & Order, Baby Boom, Cagney & Lacey, Search for Tomorrow, Over the Brooklyn Bridge, and On Our Own. She has written for over a dozen programs, including Masters of Sex, Boss, Nip Tuck, and Jag. Her production credits include Masters of Sex, Nip Tuck, Boss, Scoundrels, and more. Wowzers! Yeah. Can we talk about it now? Absolutely. First, I agree with what you say about her performance. It it, it truly is one of the best performances and impersonations. It, it's unbelievable. It's mm-hmm. uncanny. Well, it feels very natural, and I think that's the trick. Yeah, it's not it a big... It doesn't feel like she's doing B. Arthur. Yeah. 
she's just because you're not how I talk and act now is not how I was as a kid. And I think she really captures that 30 year difference. Yeah, just enough of it to be to be accurate, but not a um, yeah an over the top yeah parody impersonation. Well, and to find someone with the same build to be that tall, have like a longer face. You can, you can just see it. Her voice and mm-hmm. her, the way that she moves yeah. is so, so exactly like B. Arthur. It's incredible. It's yeah. really, I was stunned. Yeah. Just, just stunned. stunned. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of how we're obsessed with, in Yellow Jackets, the girl that plays the younger Juliette Lewis. How she, in the same way, captures those mannerisms, those things in the voice that you maybe don't even notice on someone until you hear it in someone else and go, oh yeah, that's exactly how they sound. It really, I it's incredible. Oh, Lenny Green. I mean, and j- just her, her career is really interesting too. It's just, mm-hmm. just wow, awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome person. Well, maybe a piece of <laughs> but who knows. <laughs> and with another first, two seasons in, we are introduced to Sal, sort of. Although this time it's only the voice being played so perfectly by Sidney Meltzer, known professionally as Sid Melton, there's a lot to his career, but we'll discuss it in greater detail when we actually get to meet him in a future episode. Responding to her daughter's happy birthday wish with shut up, it's clear Sophia is pissed. When Dorothy reminds her they're going to be late to dinner, Sophia doesn't care. She's not interested in celebrating anything. What, she's going to celebrate that she's leaving Sal? There's something so earnest about Sal and Sophia's relationship. It's not the healthiest, but the writers don't sugarcoat anything. Sure, in present day, we only see Sophia dote on and miss Sal, but that doesn't mean they had a perfect marriage or didn't have toxic qualities. It also touches on generational traumas, behaviors, and cycles. Here, Dorothy is unfazed by not only her parents fighting, but that her mother is so casually saying she's going to leave him. Those same conversations and fights were surely had by Dorothy and Stan. And they had the nerve to be surprised when Kate ended up in a toxic marriage of her own? Yes, Kate, have babies. Don't work on yourself first. Don't be the one to break the cycle. Just keep it going. Passively yelling at Dorothy how she feels about Sal, loud enough for him to hear, Sophia is glad he's heard it all. Then come the curses. After she hopes his last three hairs will fall out, he hopes her lost tweezers cause her to grow a unibrow which would cover her wart. Well, this has gone too far, so she points out it's not a wart, it's a beauty mark. It's clear they were a good match for one another when Sal comes back with a major burn. Sophia Loren has beauty marks, which are just hearty freckles. But on Sofia Petrillo and Nikita Khrushchev, the first secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union from 1953 to 1964 and chairman of the Council of Ministers from 1958 to 1964, they are wards. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Coco. Whenever I hear Khrushchev, I flash back to senior year high school and we had a world, it was a world history textbook and there was a picture of Nikita Khrushchev, black and white photo, just of him holding up a big ear of corn and like smiling at it. <laughs> what? I think, I think maybe he came to America or something, but it was this picture of him looking just joyously at a peeled corn on the cob. Wow. So I don't know if you want to find that. Maybe it's it's. I think it's out there. Find my history book, please. <laughs> <laughs> and but can we, you confirm the wart? 
situation. It's there. He looks like Ned Beatty. He's kind of sprinkled. He does look like Ned, ba- Ned Beatty. This one? Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! That's it! Yes! Oh, my God. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> That's a big-ass ear of corn. Yeah. Stepping in to defuse the fight, as she's probably done since childhood, Dorothy tells them to calm down and asks her dad to join them. That's when Sal accuses Sophia of abuse. Yeah, she hit him, but what? Yeah, she hit him, but it was with a piece of bread. A piece of really dry, really old, really hard bread. Sophia validates her actions by saying Sal ruined her birthday. While watching Your Show of Shows, which was a Sid Caesar variety show running for four seasons starting in 1950, Sal pointed out that on Sophia's birth certificate, there was a mix-up from her immigration. Instead of turning what she thought was 48, she's turning 50. Since they didn't have reruns in the 50s, is Sophia's actual birth year sometime between 1900 and 1904? Is everything a lie? Dorothy doesn't see the problem. Okay, you're 50. Great. But Sophia and myself, now that I'm older, sure do. Yeah, it's just two years, but they're lost. 50 was supposed to be a mile marker, a goalpost, a bucket list measuring device. To go from your late 40s to 50 would be jarring, even if Sophia wasn't able to become a ballerina, to know there would have been time for that dream would have meant something. Instead, she's a failed 50-year-old. Comforting her devastated mother, Dorothy reminds her, You are no failure. You raised kids through the Depression. You worked hard, but you were still present. You got your daughter through college. So on and so forth. Those few kind words calm Sophia, and she stops Dorothy from being schmaltzy, pointing out that the host of This Is Your Life and Truth or Consequences, Ralph Edwards, who was never lacking in enthusiasm when it came to introducing his shows and guests, was less complimentary than Dorothy. Fun fact, we have Ralph to thank for getting Bob Barker in the TV game show hosting game. Excuse me, Bobby Karen, for breaking in on your terrific record hit, Mac the Knife, but we have you on television coast to coast this minute. Uh, my name's Ralph Edwards and Bobby Darren, great Ralph. rhythm singer whose records have captured grown-up America and made you an idol of the I teenagers too. Tonight, this is your life. <laughs> Sal doesn't care about Sophia's age. It's truly just a number. For him, her beauty remains just as the day they wed. And that's all it takes for Sophia to be swept off her feet by Sal, even if he does keep calling her an ass. When he finally opens up the bedroom door for her, she goes in to make up. And make up they do, telling Dorothy to head on out to dinner. They'll be there in about an hour, or maybe two. Back in the kitchen, we find the two hours came and went. Sal and Sophia never went to the party, but some people came. hey While Dorothy was stuck managing disappointed dinner guests, Sophia was managing the afterglow of her and Sal's combination birthday and makeup sex. No wonder they needed two hours. Worried about the cake, Blanche asks if it'll be ready in time. Sophia assures her, when it's ready, it'll be ready. 
thinking more about surprise parties, Blanche isn't concerned about Roberta's, as they never work. Ah, but Rose points out, they've thrown one for her. In a more recent flashback, Rose is in the kitchen, putting the final decorative details on a cake in a bright blue dress. Dorothy comes in from the back in our favorite white and light pink, multi-layered, awkwardly proportioned shirt and skirt. She's just come back from getting the cake, which has her confused as to why Rose is decorating one. Getting awkward laughs that almost want to be oohs, Rose puts it simply, most people she knows wouldn't want a store-bought cake. Dorothy isn't worried about the opinion of the people of St. Olaf. Why would you trust the taste of someone that finds polka music sexy and windmills inhabitable? Those slights only serve to make Rose homesick and Dorothy disgusted. Hearing the doorbell, Dorothy and Rose make a run for it, only to be surprised by Sophia, who at the time was still living at Shady Pines. Who cares if she's supposed to be in recovery post-stroke? She's fine. Using the door as good luck, she knocks on wood before answering, Come in. Fun fact, did you know knocking on wood came from the ancient beliefs that spirits or fairies lived in trees and the knocking would awaken them to protect you? That's a good one. It's a fun fairy fact. It also sounds scary. Well, I, I, I think there's these spirits in the tree. <laughs> I don't. I think that a lot of fairies in mythology are kind of mean. Yeah. If Guillermo del Toro is any sort of authority. <laughs> I've, They're I've nasty. Seen, I mean, in Hellboy 2, they were eating teeth. Oof. Teeth fairies. In her khakis, a yellow collared shirt, and adorable yellow cardigan with blue and white floral trim, Sophia comes in and is told of the surprise party. To keep her from spoiling anything, Dorothy sends her to the lanai with the other guests. Calling it a lanai doesn't make Dorothy the Linda Evans-portrayed dynasty character Crystal Carrington. A lanai is a porch. They just have additional overhead protection and sometimes include windows. As Rose and Dorothy wait in the living room for the birthday Blanche to arrive, Rose spills that it was purely by accident she even learned today was Blanche's birthday. Speaking of, here's Ellen. I just don't want a big fuss, that's all I ask. And I don't want candles on my cake. It'll look like the burning of Atlanta. I'm sorry, that's Blanche bursting in the front door and slamming it behind her. In a very comfortable, flowy, 80s matching pant and cover of dark and light blue palm fronds and a blue top, she storms through the living room and heads down the hall. When the girls allow her to say she wants to take space, she corrects them. No, this is the part where you pressure me to tell you what's going on. Dorothy gives it a try with minimal effort. Blanche volleys back. Nothing's wrong. When Rose and Dorothy don't take the bait, she gives in. Fine, I'll tell you. Sitting down, Blanche breaks the news. It's her birthday. Rose is delighted. It's her birthday. Until Blanche follows up. And I hate birthdays. With the same rate of deflation as Scotty the balloon animal, Rose lands on the couch. She hates birthdays. Even better, her least favorite part of birthdays? Surprise parties. And that's exactly what has her so upset. She went to work, and boom, a surprise party. She hates them so much, they literally make her sick. As Dorothy holds Rose's arm, Rose tries to keep a happy face, but it's a struggle to maintain one when she fully realizes the pickle they're in. Excusing Blanche to go take a bath so she can relax and they can get the guests out, Dorothy has given them an out. But of course, Rose had to rhetorically ask how someone could hate their own birthday. Simple. 
For Blanche, a birthday is nothing more than a reminder of death and aging. While it hasn't happened yet, she knows she'll soon end up as old and wrinkly as Rose and Dorothy, unless Dorothy kills her first. The first surprise of the day happens when Sophia wanders in from the lanai, informing Blanche she's there for the surprise party. As Blanche starts to gag, Dorothy tries to use her mother's coherence as an excuse. Sophia fights back. Hey, she's not the actress Frances Farmer, who had been well-known in the 30s and 40s before being put into a mental health facility, possibly enduring a lobotomy, who was also the inspiration for this Nirvana song. I fear a patient. Display of patience, she's Sophia knows a lanai full of party guests when she sees them. Now knowing how she feels, Rose and Dorothy are deeply apologetic and promise they'll get everyone out while she's in the bath. As Blanche gives a desperate nod of approval, Sophia handles the guests by yelling for them to go home. As they start to make their way through the living room, Blanche takes a roll call. Edgar? Leonard? Bert? Roger? And her mood swiftly changes from being horrified to a hoified when she realizes Rose invited everyone from her little black book. No, not her red one with her friends, but her actual black one stored next to her hot body oil dispenser. These are the many men of Blanche's boudoir. Realizing the type of socialization that will be taking place will involve spanking and not small talk, Blanche had the best surprise party of her life. In fact, it changed her entire outlook on surprise parties. That party reminded Rose of the party in St. Olaf for Big and Little Sven's smoked herring house. Saved by the bell, the timer dings and the cake is finally ready. When Sophia pulls it out of the oven, it's clear something has gone wrong as it's risen about as much as Rose's future boyfriend Ernie, if you know what I mean. Clearly, Sophia added too much rum to the cake, or perhaps it was all that baking soda. She suggests decorating it like a rum drink so the guests can pretend they're at tiki-themed restaurant Trader Vic's. Out of time, Rose leads everyone to the living room to get in place before Roberta's arrival. And that's just the thing. There is no Roberta. As Blanche goes on about how surprised she hopes Roberta is, Rose, Dorothy, and Sophia give Blanche the big surprise. Her mouth agape with a gobsmacked look upon her face, Blanche cannot believe she was surprised again. Since the last party caused Blanche to change her feelings about surprises and left her feeling like she could never be surprised again, the girls decided to accept the challenge, inviting the same group of guys. It's conga time for the ladies, and Leonard, and Roy, and Fred, and Gary, and Steve, and Kevin, and Mike. When it comes to birthdays, everyone has a story. When it comes to a special lesson from today's episode, well, there kind of isn't one. Except to say birthdays are like friendships. Each one is different and special. They hold memories, some we'll never forget, some we wish we could. Although there are people like Blanche who wish they could just forget their special day altogether, it's important to celebrate you. And like my grampy always said, it beats the alternative. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. Please, I know you don't want to, but join us next week, even though it'll be empty nests. Once Sophia, in a darling silk dark teal dress with floral plinth.
Da O K Corral. Gunsmoke Simpsons. Hey, mashup. Did it. Gunsmoke Simpsons. Hey, mashup. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yeah. That I sounded did. cool. <laughs> oh my God, Alyssa Milano. Oh yeah. I think is she naked? Probably. Yeah. I feel like everyone in that movie was. They're just Oh yeah, I think you see being some... cool. I feel this might not be true, but I feel like it's one of those movies where you see like a a dude from behind and you see way more than just buns. I believe I feel like correct. it's one of those movies. I you, think so. And I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh Papa's got a brand new bag that he's carrying up front. Yeah, sort of like um legs. I mean, yeah, it's like in independent movies, men are shot very different from behind. Uh, yes. <laughs> 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 like this was not a Warner Brothers picture. <laughs> uh, See the flip flap and the ding dingles. Oh, was isn't that a Jimmy Buffett song? That's a children's show from the seventies. <laughs> the flip flap and the ding dangles. Mm-hmm. Hi, Kedge. Don't know. Stay away from flip flop <laughs> and ding dangles. And dingle dangles. <laughs> I'd be much more scared of dingle dangles. <laughs> Felds. Giant ball sack. <laughs> Bouncing around. 40 and flirty. You're finding your inner Blanche. Oh, we got to blow up the system, man. Okay. Who was never lacking in the enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. <laughs> I've had an orgasm. <laughs> with great enthusiasm. Maybe I've not really had like great box cake. Well, we've got some in the house. Oh, I would love a cake. Oh, we do have cake. Oh, my God, your mom made cake for us. Because we're her Valentine. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's exciting. You know, just the presentation of a giant sheet cake is really impressive. Put the the seal of the President of the United States on that. (laughs) You're you're dazzled. These are good wedding ideas. Yeah. Pinterest. Ugh. I don't understand Pinterest. I don't like Pinterest. I don't I don't either. I did I really... not create the Mimi. I did not distribute the Mimi. Her mouth agape with w- w- uh-huh. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry I scared you. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Always be my sisters is written, hosted and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sisters.